We know we're not who we ought to be. And we know we're far from perfect people. But we also know this, that by those little moments of grace, we are being, and by grace, we are becoming. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Psalm 23 this morning as we come to the final in our studies of Psalm 23. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been slowly working our way through what is one of the best-known passages in all of Scripture, and arguably one of the greatest prayers in all of Scripture. And again, you'll find it on page 862 of the Church Pew Bible as we read Psalm 23. David begins with the immortal words, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Over these past couple of weeks, as you know, we have been working our way through Psalm 23, and I've been encouraging us to think of Psalm 23 as a personal prayer. And over these last Sundays together, and you will be fed up hearing me say this, I've been encouraging you to think of prayer as not only asking God for something, not only intercession, but prayer in its much broader sense. Because for all we, from a human perspective, tend to think that prayer is asking God for something, and it certainly is that, it has a broader dimension, and it's this, that when you engage God with prayer, there is a relational dynamic that you don't always immediately see. And Psalm 23 is not always about asking, but it is always about being and becoming, because at the very heart of this psalm is a relationship. And that's why David begins with those extraordinary words, words full of confidence, full of excitement, words that you could take to the bank. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, if he had just put those words on a page, we would be excited enough. But he then begins to unpack those words. He then begins to use metaphor and motif and picture language, and he takes us deeper and deeper and deeper, and he becomes specific and particular in all that he's saying. 
And if you were with us last week, we finished with what is some of the best-known verses of this well-known passage where he says, I will, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that's where we concluded last week. And today, the language changes, and you have another image emerge. It's not the dominant image, and we'll come back to the sheep and the shepherd in a few moments, but it begins, verse 5, you prepare a table before me. Seems appropriate on this Thanksgiving week that we're coming to this passage, because most of us who will be host or hostess this coming Thursday will know this, that we will not wake up on Thursday morning and say, Okay, I wonder what's for dinner today, and I wonder who's coming. Ladies, if you're the hostess, men, if you're the host for Thursday, you probably started at least mentally eight, 10, 12 weeks ago. Who's coming? How many are coming? Can we sit them all down? What will I feed them? And then as you move from 12 weeks to 10 weeks to 8 weeks to 6 weeks, you've gone through your mental list, you've prepared your table, you're now beginning to think, what will I buy and have in ready? You want to give the very best of food you can on a Thanksgiving festival, no question. David uses similar image, and he's talking of the shepherd. If you were with us last Sunday morning, you will remember I tried to at least implant the imagery in your mind that as we come to the late days of spring into early summer of late March, early April, April, the shepherd will take sheep, particularly as you look at a map in the northwestern states, the shepherd will take the sheep up into the high Sierras, up into the regions where the snow has now melted, has run down the mountains, the rivers are very busy and somewhat dangerous, and as he takes them on that trek through the valley, they will come to a point where the valley will stop and it will broaden out into a spectacular vista where there is lush, fresh grass. There are pools of water, and the shepherd knows they are there, and it's almost, in Spanish, it's mesa, meaning table. It's laid out there for the sheep, and the shepherd knows that, and that's why he's bringing them there. He wants to give them the best food he can that will nourish them and encourage them. Their wool will become thick and heavy, their bones will become stronger. They will begin to develop an appetite and they will grow and mature in the process. And as he's walking ahead of them on the trail, what is he doing? Sometimes his eyes will be down and he's looking for poisonous weeds and grass and plants at the side of the trail. And if he is ahead of them, he'll pick them up and throw them as far into the bush as he can, because as the sheep go by, they'll be nibbling here and nibbling there, and he will try to keep them on the move. But he absolutely does not want to expose them to something poisonous. And not only will he be looking down, he'll be looking up. And he'll be making sure that there aren't too many eagles in the area and hawks and birds of prey, because he knows that some of the lambs will fall behind. And if they fall behind at the wrong moment, you know what's going to happen. They will come down and 
they'll be snatched up. And so he's keeping an eye up there as well as down here. And he's also looking for prints, for cougar, coyote. And when David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, that's what he's describing. That the shepherd is there to feed and nourish and protect. That's the picture we're getting right here. You prepare a table before me. And there will be times when he's up there on that high Sierra range. He will wade into the water up to his knee. And he'll be up to his waist rather. He'll be taking out the leaves and the trees, the tree branches and all the debris that has gathered as the snow has come down the mountain. He'll repair an earthen dam just enough to make the water hole secure for his sheep. And he'll be protecting and providing again for them. What is the lesson to draw from this? There are two. The shepherd goes ahead of us, anticipating the dangers to come. And please allow me to say this before we come to a second lesson this morning. When we say the Lord is my shepherd, and we hold on to it, and we make it our own, in saying that, we know that there is nothing coming that is a surprise to him. And he's been there ahead of us, and he'll walk with us through it. Even though at times it may be difficult and challenging and hard, even though at times we will find ourselves darting off down some dark, distracted alleyway and regret it, he will still be there for us. And he's there to protect and provide and the second lesson, and I think some of you are there already when it comes to nourishing the soul and providing good food, you will be thinking of the passage in the Gospels where Jesus is teaching and he looks out and says, we cannot live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's why on Sunday morning, when we gather for worship, we bring praise and adoration, and then we pause and spend time in the pages of God's Word. We don't do it because it's a chance thing. We don't do it because that's what you do at church. We do it for this reason, that God in His sovereign love for us will nourish and restore our souls, that He will feed us and encourage us and strengthen us. And we know we cannot live by bread alone. And that's why we take our time in Sunday mornings to do what? To pause, pull away from the busyness of preparation for Thanksgiving and the weeks ahead towards Christmas. And we spend this time with him and we jealously guard it because we know that in the course of any 12-month period, there will be tough days and hard days, and frustrations, and disappointments, and prayers don't seem to be answered the way we wanted, but nonetheless, he is there. And then sometimes, just out of the blue, he will drop a little moment of grace into our lives to encourage us, and enable us, and sustain us, and restore our souls. Folks, let me say this, please. Please. 
that when we grow as Christian people, and when our faith becomes strong, it grows and becomes stronger in direct proportion of the amount of time that we prayerfully read, digest, reflect, and then apply to our life God's Word. There is a direct correlation. If we're not feeding on the Scriptures, our soul is not growing. Now, this morning I've given you an idealistic picture of the sheep up in the high Sierras, those mountain ranges where the grass is lush, water is plentiful, the shepherd himself is there, and the sheep settle down in peace and calm. But the summer months bring flies and insects. And when the flies and insects begin to, to bother the sheep, they burrow into their ears and up into the nasal passages and just under the eyelids. And often flies and insects will leave their eggs there. And when those eggs hatch, what happens? Worms begin to drill in deeper and deeper and deeper. And I don't think you need any more description than that. But it drives the sheep to distraction. And if you've ever worked closely with sheep, you'll know that when that happens, they're shaking their heads and they'll get close to a piece of rock and they'll start to ugh, try and get rid of the itch and the inflammation and the infestation in their head and it drives them nuts. And of course, sheep are affectionate animals. So what do they do when they get together? They rub their heads together just to say hello. And they pass on infection from one to another. And before you know it, sheep are coming down all over the place with infestation. And just driving them crazy. And of course, you know what the shepherd does. The shepherd comes alongside the sheep. He's been watching for the earliest possible signs. And he straddles the sheep and he lifts their head up. And of course, he's made up a mixture of sulfur and linseed oil and grease, and he puts it just under their eyes, and around their nose, and in their ears. <sighs> and the inflammation goes down, and the flies and insects stop bothering them, and the sheep are no longer panicking, running around, upsetting and disturbing everyone around them. <laughs> and of course, the whole flock start going. And they rest and relax, and they begin to eat again. And when the ewes have an infestation, they don't eat. They're running around. They don't produce milk. And so the lambs struggle as well. But with the anointing of oil, the pain is lessened, and they become peaceful and comfortable, and they begin to eat, and their heart and soul is nourished again. Hold that picture in your mind and allow me to give you another picture. And if we have moved from springtime into summer and the summer moves into October and those early days of November and the weather changes up in those high Sierras, it's not just the weather that changes, the sheep change as well, especially the rams. And the rams suddenly find that, whoa, 
there's something happening. It's coming into mating season, and wow, they're feeling good, and they're getting strong and healthy, and they've been eating all summer, and their coats are thick and heavy, and muscles in their neck begin to bulge, and they move to rutting season, when the rams will have a go at each other. Those long, large horns, they will run at each other from 10 and 12 and 15 feet, and collide into one another again and again and again. And some of them are saying, well, I'm going to show you who looks after this herd. It's me. I am the boss around here. And what do they do in the midst of all of that? They hurt one another. And they wound one another. And they start bristling with pride. And I'll show them and I'll tell them how things should be done around here. And I wonder this morning, if you are in a situation where you are saying, Richard, quite honestly, I am not looking forward to Thursday and Thanksgiving, because I am going to have to sit beside Uncle Joe. And every year at Thanksgiving, he pulls up old family issues, baggage from the past and rivalries, and when niece Frances did this, and when Auntie Sally did that, and it just goes on and on and on. And he ends up wounding and hurting the people around. I wonder if you're there. And already in your mind, you are preparing and you're saying, okay, if Uncle Joe says that one more time, I'm going to sort him. I'm going to put him in his place and tell him what it's like. When the passage says he anoints her head with oil, not only does the shepherd do it to get rid of the infestation and the inflammation, but with the rams, he takes huge dollops. I'm not even sure if that's a word you understand. Do you understand a dollop? Please nod. A large amount of grease, and he puts it on the horns so that when the rams butt heads, they career off one another. And they kind of shake their head and stand there and think, nothing actually happened. I was supposed to put him down, and it didn't happen. And they glance off one another, and they become frustrated, and they just stand there. And what is the shepherd doing when he puts on huge amounts of grace? He is protecting them from wounding one another. And I suspect some of you are ahead of me in our study this morning, because in your mind, you're already thinking of passages in the New Testament that talks about God anointing his children. And when does he do it most? when for the first time an individual receives Christ into their heart and life and soul, the Holy Spirit of God Himself comes and dwells within us. And if you were with us last month when we spent six Sundays looking at the Holy Spirit, you will remember me saying this, and this is the miracle of the new birth. When someone comes to a living faith and the Spirit lives within them, the same moral and supernatural power that rose Christ from the grave dwells within you through the Holy Spirit. And when you find yourself in a situation 
that you are so, you're so annoyed with something. It is bugging you. It's getting under your skin. And you are determined that all of the aggravation and all of the irritability and all of the frustration, that you're going to take it out on someone else. And sin creeps into our lives and contaminates us and pushes us into areas we shouldn't be going. And tempers flare and frustration comes out and irritability dominates relationships. And we discover that our ideas and our emotions and our choices and our impulses are far from where they should be. And they are not Christ-like. But in this passage, we read again, He anoints us. And in the messiness of real life, it's the Holy Spirit who pulls us back from the edge, who reins us in and says to us, what? Do you remember those Sundays when we looked at Galatians 6? The fruits of the Spirit, how to behave in a Christian manner. What were the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He pulls us back from sin. He wraps us in His arms of love and grace, and He drops into our lives a little moment of grace just to encourage us, and He whispers in our ears, if you are ever to follow me, it is about being and becoming, and you have to stop that. Stop wounding one another. Stop cutting one another. Stand back and let the grace of God go to work and you can trust him for it. That's what David is writing about. That's why we can say today, our cup runneth over because he dwells within us. That's what's going on here. And then he takes us a step further. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if he started with those wonderful words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, he closes with spectacular words of promise. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And remember who is writing this. It is David. David, who at times in his own life became so dysfunctional. He was involved in an adulterous affair and then killed the lady's husband and was far from the things of God. But he knows what it means to be cleansed and forgiven and changed and renewed and restored. And he's able to say again powerfully in all of the messiness of life, in all of those barren days when things are not going well, when sin is overwhelming us, he can say and we can say, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And we can say that because we know this. He will not walk away from you. He will not. He will not give up on you. 
He will not abandon you or leave you because he is your shepherd, and you can trust him for tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. And we don't need to manipulate. We don't need to keep our hands firmly on the driving wheel, determine the direction and the speed. We can allow him to restore our souls. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And he finishes with, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And allow me, please, to give you one more picture before we close this morning. Because when you move from October into November up in those high Sierras, it becomes more than a little cold. And what does the shepherd do? The shepherd begins to take his sheep down out of the high mountains, and he walks before them, and they follow him. Do you remember the words of Jesus from John chapter 10? My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. They follow me. And he takes them down through the valleys and the narrow gorges and through the trail, down back to the farmland, where there is what? Barns and corrals and shelter, and food, and the presence of the shepherd. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we know it's not because of something we have done, but it's because of who he is and his eternal love for us. And that's why we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. That's why come Thursday, it would be a good thing before you begin your Thanksgiving meal to open up his word and read again Psalm 23. We know we're not who we ought to be, and we know we're far from perfect people, but we also know this, that by those little moments of grace, we are being, and by grace we are becoming. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the end of our service this morning and we prayerfully once again come into your presence, we ask, please, O oh God, you would forgive us for moments this past week when we have been selfish, focusing on our own lives, when we've allowed our tempers to flare, our frustrations, our irritability to get the better of us. We've allowed sin to contaminate our lives. And so we ask this morning again, O oh, oh Father, that you would forgive us and cleanse us and restore us. And Father, as we draw our time to a close, we remember the words of our hymn this morning, and we say them for ourselves and our families and our nation. In God we trust, believing the promise of your word. Your hand sustains, affirming the wonders of your love. Your grace knows no boundaries transcends the test of time, for sacrifice births freedom, 
upheld by love divine. The years before us call us to trust and faith and prayer. Our nations and our families' hopes and freedom remain within your care. Father, we are a thankful, grateful people. Bless us this week, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you interested in membership at First Presbyterian, or do you just want to learn more about our church and denomination? Join us for our next First Look class on Sunday mornings. Register with Chuck Emery at 672-1753 or emery at firstpressgreenville.org.